I've seen American flowers all across this land from the banks of the Shenandoah along the Rio Grande. Do not feel Welcome to episode nine of the Voices of Wisdom podcast. On this episode, I'm in conversation with Father Richard Rohr. Father Rohr needs no introduction as he's one of the foremost and most beloved spiritual teachers of our time. I met with Father Rohr at his Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico, to talk about his journey and two of his major influences, Carl Jung and Thomas Merton. And I really wanted to find out where these three streams meet. Our meeting was related to some academic writing I was doing at the time and not originally intended for a podcast, so the feel and the flow of the conversation will reflect that. Within the first minute or two with him, it was pretty clear that any positive projections that might be placed on him just simply don't stick and slide off. And in that way, it's easy to reclaim our humanity. I don't know what else we could expect from a good spiritual teacher than to allow us to have the experience of seeing them and ourselves a little more clearly and being able to see that just being human is truly a wonderful thing. Father Rohr makes it pretty clear that Carl Jung and Thomas Merton were his two biggest influences precisely because they chose vulnerability as part of their path, but also shared that vulnerability for the sake of humanity something which he aspires to and obviously succeeds at. So I hope that this episode inspires you to tend to the rich, deep inner world that exists in all of us and to respond to a suffering world from that place. And without further delay, here's my conversation with Father Richard Rohr. Do not feel the winter blowing In the hearts of men I've seen American flowers They will bloom Okay, so I have one, two, three, four, five, six, basically six little categories here. Okay. The first one is uh, because I am talking to some post-evangelicals and some some evangelicals and, and just people in general who... Is that uh, your background too? It is. Yeah, okay. Is. okay. Uh, the, um, the sense, the, the word calling has a, a, mm. a, a particular sort of narrow meaning in that setting yeah. a lot of the time, so... I'd like uh, to ask you a little bit about how you've experienced calling in your life. Um, mm. And the first question would be, what drew you to the particular path that you've chosen to follow? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just dive in. <laughs> of course, we Catholics use that term vocation, which is mm-hmm. a Latin translation of calling. Uh, and if I look back, I, I went off to join the Franciscans very young. You know, I think it was more, of course, trying to find yourself. You called it, I called it a vocation, and it was, but it was, of course, minimally understood uh, how you understood God, how you understood yourself. But still a sense, uh, even in that time, this was in the 50s, uh, before what we call Vatican II. That's the great council that reformed the Catholic Church in the early 60s. And at that point, of course, to have a calling to be a Franciscan or a priest was very highly regarded. You know, now it hardly is. Uh, And that's almost good. 
because it's forced me over the years to purify my own intentionality mm. and, and motivation. Why am I doing what I'm doing, you know? I think it was very high-minded idealism, as, as a young man often has, to do the most heroic thing, the most generous thing, and that this is what God wanted me to do. There was a lot of ego in that, uh, but there has to be. Right. I don't know if you've read my book, uh, Falling Upward, yes. but yeah, how in the first half of life you've got to build your little container. Uh, so I'm sure that's what I was doing. The wonderful thing is that purification of motive and intentionality that has grown over the years. The reasons I stay, now I'm 75, are much different than the reasons I came. So which was the true vocation? Well, I'd like to believe they all were. That's the nature of growth. Okay. Um, of course, I, I'm reminded, I'm, I'm sure you are, of Jung's tombstone, vocatus atque non vocatus, mm -hmm. called or not called. Uh, so the word as such uh, uh, normally connoted this sense of getting in touch with your deeper soul, your deeper identity, and responding at that level okay. instead of just the level of career or occupation. Right. And, you know, given retreats for priests all over the world in the intervening years, I have to say, I hope this isn't harsh or unfair or a judgment, but I do think a lot of guys came for a career <laughs> and then uh, found themselves very saddened, disillusioned, bitter even. Right. When, when they, the career didn't help them find their soul, their identity, right. their deepest identity, what I call the true self. Right. So in, in summary, I know I'm talking all over the place, but your, your vocation has to do with your true self, right. not your false self, which is your career or occupation. Not that that can't lead you, right. as I hope it did to me, but uh, there's a big difference. Like, you know, I tell even the staff here, what would you do if you weren't paid a salary? That's mm -hmm. <laughs> your vocation. Yeah. Uh, if, if you would stop doing it the minute the salary stopped coming, uh, it's not a vocation. It might seem oversimplified, but I'm convinced there's some truth in it. Yeah, okay. Oh. And so for you, it, it started out somewhat of a hero's journey. Yes, and, and very transformed good. into very good. What, yes. what looks to me, some you know, sort of, it's probably more subjective than objective, but uh, what appears to be more of a sort of walk in the path of individuation. Yes, that's yeah. probably yeah. a perfect way to say it. So, th that really answered my next question uh, oh, about because okay. the next question was, how do you uh, understand and interpret? Um, your call now in a way that's different yeah. than you did originally. So you, you covered that. Uh, um, is there any other way I could say it, though? I mean, I hope I addressed it. I don't know if I covered it. <laughs> uh, how do I understand it now? Of course, how mine got complicated, and I mean that sincerely, is this getting to be well-known and mm. seeing my name on books and invited to be speaker at major things. This, whenever your persona gets magnified or exalted, or mm. 
it it has the real danger of of obstructing the whole journey because there's such a temptation to fall in love with that persona or to feel you got to live up to it yes uh, and the, I must say the nice thing about I don't travel to teach much anymore mm-hmm. um, is I think I don't want to be naive but that motivation is largely gone something to live up to I mm-hmm. feel I can go for broke now and say what I really believe right. and I don't have a reputation to make or to prove or to defend right. and that is such a freedom yeah. Does that feel mostly because you've already made it in a way? Or, uh, well, that must be partially true. That you have enough power that you don't need it anymore. It's a paradox, you know? Mm-hmm. That you're not enamored with it anymore because, you know, it passes anyway. Right. I mean, I've had so many people over the years who've put me on a pedestal and thought I was this demigod mm-hmm. and then would see one of my faults that I'm sure I have plenty uh, and I'd just crash. Mm. So th- that's happened so many times. Or people hating me, uh, accusing me. I get hate mail, you know. And I, I realize they don't know me either. Wow. So why, why trust the whole thing of public image? Right. It just doesn't mean anything. And you, you almost got to be at my age to know that. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It's all projection. Yeah. yeah. yeah, That's good to hear because, you know, despite awareness of it as a someone who's trying to get a, more established as a writer. And you have to. Uh, there's, a, there's a desire to, sure to retain. Yeah. Sure there. And that's okay. Yeah. Just know that you're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if and when it's taken away from you, don't fall apart. Right. Because that wasn't your true self anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this was a, a question that wasn't really mine, but uh, when I told my wife I was coming here, she 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 wondered about this, and and I thought I would ask. Sure. Um, so not, not just the, the monastic life, but just in general, I think being someone that has sort of stood apart within mm-hmm. your tradition, but okay. stood on the edge yeah, yeah. at times. Um, on the edge do, of the inside yeah. is our phrase. Yeah. Go how ahead. do you? How have you dealt with? Uh, Loneliness, relationally, existentially, just being sort of somewhat it's very considered good, radical. Very honest. Even question. though, yeah, uh, because in many ways, celibacy is a choice for loneliness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to face it head on, right, and to say, can you find your identity, frankly, in God? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a tiny correction. Don't feel bad about. It. I'm not a monk. I'm okay. A, yeah, I know Protestants don't know the difference. <laughs> Most Catholics don't either. You know, but the the monks were the Benedictines, the Cistercians. They lived a highly isolated life. Okay. You know, of quiet. The friars who began in the 13th century is what I am. Okay. So friars mix with the people like I do here. Okay. You know, we don't try to separate. So the the Franciscan houses of Europe will always be right in the heart of town, mixing with the people. Okay. So that, I think, helped a lot. Okay. You know, even the first community I founded in Cincinnati, the New Jerusalem, I lived in household, as we call it, with married couples, with children, mm. and all of that. 
Um, and I think if that hadn't happened, mm -hmm. there's a lot I would never have understood about relationship. Mm -hmm. There's something very dangerous, as we're seeing in the pedophilia crisis, mm -hmm. uh, about any kind of male club right. where you think you're above or better or higher or beyond. It just is a breeding ground for sickness, you know? Mm -hmm. Even if it doesn't start sick, it often ends up sick. Right. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I have to say at my age, I think celibacy was the right choice for me. Mm -hmm. I think this, the charism of celibacy, right. I don't know if you use that word charism. A charism, charis in Greek means a free gift. The word grace, mm -hmm. of course, comes from it. Um, the trouble with the Catholic Church is they're contradicting their own theology when they mandate a charism. Mm. You, if charism is a free gift, you can't mandate it right. as a prerequisite for ministry. It has to be chosen. It has to be freely discerned and chosen. Mm. Now, I think groups like my own, the Franciscans, where I didn't come to be a priest, I came to be a Franciscan. Priesthood came later. That's okay. a different thing. That gives you a lot... Uh, a better chance at some purity of motive. Mm. Why am I doing this? Do I really feel called to it? I really know I could not have done the work I've done for 50 years if I had been married with children. Mm -hmm. It does make me better, does make me right. Uh, it was, uh, I'm not saying it was done without tension and failure, mm -hmm. but in general, I flourished having to go deeper, having to face that loneliness. Mm -hmm. I would usually spend Lent over the years in a hermitage if I could. And mm -hmm. I live in a little hermitage around the corner here too, where I still mix with people. Mm -hmm. But there's a place where I can go and shut the door and have to face myself. Right. So um, for me, it's worked. Mm -hmm. It's been a wonderful life, in fact, you yeah. know. But I do not think of it as we were trained to think mm -hmm. back in the 50s, mm -hmm. as a higher state. Okay. It has, in fact, I don't know if you read my daily meditation today where mm -hmm. I say most people are called to marriage. I think the mirroring of marriage mm -hmm. is the safest path. When you don't have that daily mirror there that tells you you're not being loving at all, <laughs> as I'm sure even your wife oh, sometimes yeah. reflects to you. Uh, if you don't have that, you can live with major delusions mm -hmm. about yourself. You just don't right. see what Jung would call your shadow. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So if you aren't willing to do shadow boxing uh, in your time alone, right. uh, celibacy, hermit, kind of life in any sense right. is very dangerous mm -hmm. for the soul. Okay. Very. It has been of, of, in some ways, different mind or different thought or advanced maybe thought been lonely at times where you felt like you've stood alone in some ways? Yeah, I'm sure that's true. Uh, I ask that because it's a common occurrence in the circles yeah. I come from. When, yeah. You know, when you that as Jen Hatmaker put it, the price is belonging. When you when you stand with certain people or for certain things or you or you come out about yeah. not being extremely literal in some mm, ways or yeah. the price is yes. you don't belong anymore. Mm. You know. So I wondered if 
Yeah, you know, I had the Franciscans and still do as a buffer. Okay. Because we were always, we were never mainline Catholicism, you know what I mean? And they've always, my Franciscan superiors have always protected me from bishops and uh, (laughs) accusations of heresy and so forth. A lot of priests, what we would call parish priests, Mm -hmm. diocesan priests, don't have that Mm -hmm. structural protection that I've often had. So we're almost expected to be a little eccentric, if you know anything about the life of St. Francis. Yes. We weren't expected to be, uh, you know, uh, company men. Right. That's why when Pope Francis took the name Francis, it was so shocking to the whole Catholic world Mm -hmm. because the ultimate establishment figure, the Pope, taking the anti-establishment saint, Francis, as his name, just wow. And uh, he's shown himself to be that, too, you know. But you're making a very good point. Whenever you are not primarily into conformity, mm-hmm. which is how I was trained, obedience, conformity, in the early years, uh, it's a lonely place. Because in me, it's been having to constantly face self-doubt. Who do you think you are? Mm. How do you know these things to be true that you say are true? Mm. How do you know you're not on your own ego trip? And then when I would get and still get the the cruel letters or accusations, they still are like a knife in the heart Mm. because there's that part of me that wants to be liked and wants to be trusted and Mm -hmm. so forth. And when I'm not, it hurts. Yeah. So tell me about your history with Jung. Wow. When did I first... I, it was certainly after ordination. It was probably in the... I was ordained in 1970. I can remember reading Memories, Dreams, Reflections mm-hmm. somewhere already in the early 70s. Okay. I had taken an Ira Progoff at a journal workshop, did you? It was probably before your time. He was a Jungian who uh, would lead people a a whole weekend of journaling. He would give you questions Mm -hmm. that you'd you'd thought of, but you never really thought of. Then you'd have a half an hour of silence just to write about it. Mm. And uh, boy, that just really opened me up to my own depths. And for me, that's what, what, if these are your two concerns, you know, Jung and Merton, they both opened us up to depth. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I quote in one of my recent books uh, where Jung is supposed to have said how, you know, his father was a Swiss Reformed pastor. Right. And it, wasn't it five uncles who were five mm-hmm. who were Swiss Reformed pastors? And he, uh, I always am afraid to say this to offend the Reformed tradition, but he saw that they weren't very happy men mm-hmm. and they weren't very whole men. Right. You know? yeah. um, and in, in, in the case of his father, his father had lost his faith, didn't believe what yeah, he was preaching. Yeah. Even that, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think uh, I became enamored with him in the 70s. I was at that point the founder and pastor of a lay community in Cincinnati called New Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. They were people usually 10 years younger than me. I was 28, 29, they were 18, 19. They were all teenagers. Mm -hmm. 
and all fascinated with growing up and what that meant and mm -hmm. so forth. So I knew I, I had to go deeper myself. Mm -hmm. And Jung gave me the categories, the language, the courage, the conviction, all of those, mm -hmm. to discover my own depths. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I discovered Merton earlier. Uh, I rediscovered Merton because I realized he had given me that permission in terms of theology and spirituality and Catholicity mm -hmm. even much earlier, you know. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have recognized that's what he was doing, but he was. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that was sort of where the threads come together for you. Yes. That, that sense yes. of permission, giving or opening up. I had read Sign of Jonah already in high school in the late 50s. I remember, I can still see the spot in the library where I took it off the shelf. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe it's when I put it back. But, <laughs> but um, it was, so, um, this guy is different. Mm -hmm. This isn't the usual Catholic kitsch, if I can call it that. <laughs> <laughs> but this is Catholic depth. Yeah. That, you know, and this is before Vatican II, the late 50s. Vatican II yeah. begins in 61. Uh, but uh, to talk with that kind of creativity mm -hmm. and courage, and yet obviously first-hand experience. Right. It wasn't second-hand, which is most of what I'd been given in seminary textbooks. Mm -hmm. Second-hand experience. Yeah. So uh, both Jung and Merton mm -hmm. gave me the courage to trust and to know there could be mm -hmm. such a thing as first-hand experience. Mm -hmm. Do you think both of them being uh, really forthcoming about their emotional struggles was part of that mm -hmm. um, opening for you? Yeah, undoubtedly. Uh, that they didn't have to hide what Jung called the shadow. Well, right. he, if Jung had done nothing else but introduced the notion of the shadow right. <laughs> to Western civilization, he, he would go down as a grand, groundbreaking person, right. you know. Uh, what we see in our politics right now in this country is that it still hasn't reached the masses of people. Most people seem to be totally out of touch right. with their own shadow self. Yeah. And I can say that as much on the left as the right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not just the right. Yeah. Uh, so yes, to have men, in this case, uh, two men, uh, face their shadow, struggle with their shadow, describe their shadow, mm -hmm. give us permission mm -hmm. to shadow box, Boy, that was a breakthrough. Yeah, what modeling. Yeah, because <laughs> we'd been raised, old Catholicism was probably like old evangelicalism. It was all about denying your shadow. Right, <laughs> right. All covering it up, pretending it wasn't there, projecting it onto other groups. <laughs> <Right>. and, <laughs> oh, God. We call it, I still call it a spirituality of perfection, mm. false perfection. Mm. But um, what I teach here at the Living School is very much a Franciscan spirituality of imperfection. Okay. And, and Jung gave me the psychological language mm. to believe my own theology, because I'm convinced, 
course, that's what Jesus is teaching. Right. You know, why Christianity has missed the point, I don't know. But, you know, what the, the way I put it very often is, Jesus is never upset at sinners. Never. Mm -hmm. It's shocking when you see it. Mm -hmm. He's only upset at people who think they're not sinners. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's very telling. Yeah. The genius of Jesus. He was psychologically, you know, centuries ahead of his time. The whole thing of the, the uh, log in someone else's eye and right. not seeing yeah. the speck in your own. There it all is. Yeah, you know, I heard people refer to him as the great physician you know and I, I think the great psychoanalyst the great, great. therapist yeah <laughs> right. I mean it's really true yeah do you know so I'll tell you this that you're one of my publishers says my biggest readership is recovering evangelicals they they read my books more than yeah, anybody well, I'm one of them well, I'm honored <laughs> I believe you because I still have my Jesus centeredness and I right. have no intention of losing that uh, and that makes them trust me, which I'm grateful for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so this brings uh, me to you asking about. Um, so, so I heard the theme at, at Conspire of the, of the Path of Descent. Oh, you were at that too. No, I watched it. Watched it. Oh, I yeah. see. Oh, yeah. well, you're a serious yeah. student. Okay. <laughs> um, and then, so I'm wondering about the Path of Descent in the second half of life. For you, how that's sort of where that, I don't know, I don't even have a question really, just whatever stirs yeah. in you in response to that. I'm thinking also about the resonance between some of your work in that area and James Hollis, mm. you know. Um, what what uh, eldership means. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, once you start shadow boxing, of course it never ends. In my morning prayer this morning, I was seeing my shadow, just some of my temptations to to inner negativity, to inner accusation mm -hmm. and judgment of other people. And here people think I'm so holy and beyond that, if they only knew. <laughs> uh, it just, it never stops. Yeah. Uh, the shadow just takes more and more clever forms of disguise. Mm -hmm. So I see it quicker now, and I have to say, I defend myself from it much less. I, mm. It's not as humiliating as it was when I first began to see this stuff. I am who I am who I am. As Anthony DeMello used to say, I'm an ass, you're an ass. Now let's go ahead. <laughs> uh, oh. It's just such freedom. Yeah. Not to... Uh, have to pretend you're something other than what you are. Right. So, um, yeah, shadow boxing is a daily way of life mm -hmm. for me now. So hearing someone that, you know, you, you obviously carry a lot of projections, like you said, yes, of holiness yes. and, and people heresy. <laughs> <laughs> but, to, you know, I think it's, it's similar to, to what Union Martin did when, for you to say that, it, it opens people up to say, "Oh wow, I'm, I'm projecting onto, to Father Roar. That's he's he's human too. That's that's freeing." You know, this is I don't know how familiar you are with my men's work or my book on male spiritual books on male spirituality. I wrote about it a lot in the '90s. Um, 
this is very complicated by the whole uh, persona of father, mm-hmm. maleness, father wound, father figures, mm-hmm. is so desperately needed in our sick society mm-hmm. that you almost have to let people do it for a while because they mm-hmm. need it. I was jail chaplain here for 14 years. There wasn't a guy in jail or a gal who had a good father. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just didn't exist. Mm-hmm. That was the universal pattern. They all had alcoholic fathers, abusive fathers, mm-hmm. emotionally unavailable fathers. Right. Oh, God, it just broke your heart. So I realized I was doing them a favor by letting them do that projection mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah, so you carried it for them to they could reclaim it. That's right. Yeah. And whereas I used to in my early liberalness, don't call me father, but I want to call you father. I mean, this is a Catholic problem. Right. You you follow the scriptures, call no man father. <laughs> but we didn't. <laughs> and now I see why it was good. Yeah. <laughs> for a lot of people, and, and I first learned it in the jail, Yeah. I want to call you father. Uh, all right, as long as you're not putting me on a pedestal. I had to make sure I wasn't on a pedestal. But when I could accept the projection, now that got easier as I got older. Mm-hmm. Okay. It just goes with seniority. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, how, would you, how would you talk about contemplation as shadow work? You know, I don't trust any form of spirituality. Okay. that doesn't invade the unconscious. Mm-hmm. If it's all just saying prayers, reciting prayers, uh, quoting scriptures, if, right. to take the Protestant <laughs> form, uh, it keeps you inside of this conscious ego mm. where I am now saying prayers. I am now, it's all about I. Now, you don't yeah. know that at that point. That's why we teach contemplation here. Because what you're doing in any prayer of quiet, if you're trained well in it, is you're taking this big lead lid off of the unconscious. Mm -hmm. That you're sitting there in your nakedness without the protections of talking, which is to identify yourself, Mm -hmm. like I'm doing right now. (laughs) Uh, Who am I before I talk? Who am I without my occupation. You get more and more naked Mm -hmm. if the silence is authentic. And there, I don't say it happens every time. Like, I don't think it happened to me this morning. I was too preoccupied and I couldn't let go of my preoccupations. Um, But it happens enough that once that lid is off the unconscious, I can see things, hear things, feel things about Richard uh, that in normal waking consciousness mm-hmm. I avoid mm-hmm. or I deny or I reject. Yeah. They don't fit my self-definition, mm-hmm. you understand? <laughs> they don't fit my definition of a holy man or a good man or a celibate man or a whatever exalted image I have of myself. (laughs) Uh, So I I couldn't live without prayer of quiet. And I I just don't trust Christianity anymore or any religion. Mm 
if it doesn't take the lid off of the unconscious. <laughs> yeah. And I believe that's what prayer was supposed to do. It was supposed to be a word for going to a different world mm -hmm. than the conscious world. Right. But our, our world of reciting prayers, mm -hmm. <sighs> so even, Catholics did so much, it just didn't help. So even though it's very different, uh, it's there's some similarities to uh, Jung's self-analysis. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I think so. Yeah, uh, I think it's almost done to you. Right. And we both know God couldn't have waited for people to get PhDs in psychotherapy right. before God could enter people's lives. Right. You know, <laughs> we're grateful for such well-educated people. You know, but what I say in several of my books is that the, I think the first time was in the book The Naked Now. The normal, universally available paths of transformation of consciousness mm -hmm. are great love and great suffering. Mm -hmm. Those are, have been available since the Stone Age. Yeah. <laughs> That's what leads you to unitive consciousness. If you're willing to suffer, love and suffering. Uh, the practice of any kind of prayer of quiet, let's just call it that instead of contemplation, uh, is it continues over the long haul the momentary experience of union that you experience in great love and great suffering. Yeah. Great love and great suffering gets you there. Right. Do you have children? I do. Yeah. Well, I'm sure when you first looked at that first little one, you had a moment of unitive <laughs> consciousness. Yes. How many do you have? Three. Oh, of course yeah. you understand then. Uh, for daddies to look at their own little baby, you know, it's just a moment of pure grace. Uh, but you can't maintain that three months later. Mm -hmm. You're back into the workaday world and right. he's crying too much. <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Whatever else. <laughs> uh, so that's when you need to develop a contemplative practice. Do you follow me? To maintain the fruits that you momentarily experience in grief mm. after someone dies right. and on the honeymoon of love. Mm. You can't maintain the honeymoon of love, which is unitive consciousness, right. Right. for the long haul. You know that, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So does that explain it? It does. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. good. Yeah. So, so in a way, choosing to walk in grief is part of the path? Grief is the privileged emotion, especially for males, the male is so defended, I found in my years of men's retreats and male initiation rites, that most other forms of suffering, he can blame, he can accuse, mm. he can damn his bad luck. <laughs> but grief, you have to, more than any other emotion, you just have to sit there in it, like yeah. Job on his dung heap. Mm. I always say, there's nobody to blame. Now you'll try, you'll blame God that your wife died or your child died or you'll, you'll blame the stars or something, but eventually you have to sit with it. Yeah. So uh, I found uh, grief was the emotion that when we addressed it in depth, mm -hmm. opened more men up to their soul, mm. to their depths, to their truth than any other emotion.
-hmm. And much that they thought was anger was really sadness, Mm -hmm. was really sadness. And once they can start admitting that, how sad they are, how sad most people are, (laughs) this absurd situation we're in. I mean, this country right now, and my church, the Catholic Church, my God, after 2,000 years, how could this pedophilia thing happen? Mm. Uh, it's just at such a broad right. level. We're just we're just living in major humiliation as an American culture mm-hmm. and as a Catholic church. Mm. The two main, you know, groups right. I'm a part of. Right. Um, I don't want to use too much of. You're doing fine. You're time. very respectful. Um, it made me wonder, though, just as a side note, something just in response to that that I didn't plan to ask. Do you think something about, even though I'm not in it, just something about that culture of, of maleness you talked about that, that harms children reminds me of the predatory culture in prisons that yeah. seems to, you know, I think it mimics nature in some ways where you single out the most vulnerable mm. and, and attack them. And I just wonder, what, what in the world is that? Um, is it just that above it all, above the law? I think both places, even though in prison, you're above the law in a way. Um, you know, let me analyze. I'm, I'm, this is not the only way to analyze it, but what you see in people imprisoned is a terrible loss of power mm-hmm. and sense of powerlessness. Mm-hmm. So, uh, both their fault, their their crime, their imprisonment itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, all wearing the same uniform, all status symbols taken away. Mm. So the need to recreate another hierarchy of power Mm. just emerges. (laughs) It's the testosterone effect in the male. This need for power games. Mm -hmm. I'm convinced the demon that Jesus primarily addresses, it's all three temptations in the desert or temptations to the misuse of power. Mm. Power is the great male game. Yes. And if he doesn't, in fact, uh, as best after I studied everything I could on male initiation rights, what I concluded they were all trying to teach was uh, summarized in this line. If the male is not forced onto journeys of powerlessness, he will always abuse power. Mm. <laughs> he, he will all, uh, show me males who know how to handle power yeah. unless they either went on journeys of powerlessness themselves or they vicariously mm-hmm. have sympathy and empathy for the poor black man the, the gay person or whatever else it might be right. unless you have a friend who you've accompanied mm-hmm. who is powerless uh, that's the only way the typical successful white man can get out of his his prison you know, right. because he he has all kinds of white privilege that he doesn't know. Right. He didn't earn that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was handed to him. Right. Handed to him. And you're from a state that personifies oh, yeah. it. You know? yeah. That's a lot of the, the collective shadow work that I do there is, is God bless you. racial justice work. And, oh, I'm glad I mentioned yeah, it. A, yeah, wow. absolutely. Wow. Yeah. We just had a whole workshop as a staff last week on race, equity, and inclusion. Okay. Was it powerful? Yeah. 
Wow, wow. Mm, wonderful. Yeah. Now, most of us thought that way already, but to be brought to the depths yeah. of this whole white male system and yeah. all its delusions by facts, <laughs> by data, you know, yeah. was really very educative. Yeah. I think as a staff right now, we feel very bonded. Because wow. there's 46 of us on the staff here. But really? Be sure to go over to the visitor center. It's two okay. buildings down. I was I went there on my last visit. Oh, here, I I'd see. like to go back okay, again. Okay. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a great segue to this next question. Right. What, what What is the what is I don't know if the best, but what is a what do you think would be an appropriate response to the collective shadow work we need to do? Um, as far as what we see with Trump and evangelical support of Trump and mm. white supremacy and just all these eels that are sort of uh, clustering together into what, you know, to, to me, the, the word um, complex is, is uh, it's uh, a cluster of autonomous thoughts and feelings that are kind of running the show. And, and, and that's, I see that there, but yeah. there's such a, I think especially because I'm submerged in it in the culture I live in, there's there's always the question of how do you even, what do you, you know? I know. Damned if you do, damned if you yeah. don't. Yeah. You know, my fear, Tony, because uh, people historically do not give up power till they have to. And many have said this. We got what we deserved in Trump. <laughs> This yeah. culture has become so superficial. Mm-hmm. Bread and circuses. It's, it's, it's a totally materialistic, entertainment-oriented culture. The, the level of conversation among ordinary Americans is so superficial. Yeah. You know, I, I, do you have K-Love, this Christian I've, music station? I avoid it, but I've yeah. heard it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just listening to it because I do like some of the songs, i got to admit. Uh, but the commentary of the DJs right. is just, there's not an ounce of depth there. Yeah. And this the Christian. Right. The Christian, see, I can see why you avoid it. Yeah. It's just talking about nothing. It's right. like Seinfeld, you know. It's like, <laughs> and laughing, cackling on, never addressing, you know. I think there could be, gun violence from country uh, coast to coast and K-Love wouldn't talk about it the right. next day. They would pretend it didn't happen. Right. Talk about denying the shadow. Yeah. Uh, so here's what I meant to say. I got side <laughs> uh, I, My fear, and I mean it sincerely, mm-hmm. and we're going to know no matter what happens in tomorrow's vote, this is going to be a very angry country Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. No matter what, right? There's no way out of this. Are we going to have to hit bottom? Mm-hmm. Are we going to have to eat the fruit of our of our anger, our mm-hmm. superficiality, our materialism? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I fear. I I don't see any savior on sight. <laughs> Nobody who can who has the authority of real wisdom. Right. So, um, God, I hope it's not true. 
because I don't think our people have any training in what we, our Catholic mystics, would call darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you walk through darkness. Right. How you deal with failure and so forth. Uh, so I don't see a country that could deal with failure. I think all it can do is trump up, I hate to use the word, shore up its its defenses again. We're living at a very scary time, and and I don't use that word lightly. But uh, there's no ability to deal with shadow, and you mentioned evangelical Christianity. White evangelical mm-hmm. Christianity. Yes. <laughs> that 82% of white evangelicals mm-hmm. could vote for this president. And still mostly support him. And still mostly support him. Yeah. Has forever uh, undercut their integrity. Yeah. They have no credibility in most people's minds. Right. Don't talk to me about Jesus ever again because <laughs> right. you clearly don't give a darn about <laughs> Jesus. Or you understand Jesus merely in a cultural way, you know, Uh, which is what most of us did. We Catholics did it too. But um, you know, the whole the whole thing of this this form I have to pick on this since you're from Mississippi, (laughs) the the form of Christianity that we take to the was largely created in the southern part of the United States Mm -hmm. in the last century. Yeah. As a Catholic trained in the whole tradition, it's like, where did this come from? Right. This personal decision for Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Yeah. Which means almost nothing except words, yeah. you know? You know, I wrote, I wrote a piece for Sojourners that's in the queue to come out in January, I think, about my experience growing up in that and living in that and still oh. trying to figure out how to navigate that. And I call it a theological molestation. And, and link uh, sexual abuse and that sort of spiritual wow. abuse and, and how it looks the same wow. and how it's processed the same and, wow. and just uh, the, the symptomatology the whole thing wow. there's so many parallels it's, it's that makes sense yeah. Tony yeah. sorry to say that makes yeah. sense yeah I'm wondering about the uh, your thoughts on a, the balance between the masculine and the feminine mm. in navigating all of this it, it was obviously an overdose of masculinity got us here. So. Yeah, yeah. What we call patriarchy. In the church, we call it clericalism. The, the, the white male system of dominance. You know, this works rather nicely with my best synonym for contemplation is non-dual thinking. I guess mm-hmm. you've heard me use that, yeah. Uh when I first introduced that word to Western Christianity through my book, Naked Now, I'm sure others had used it too, but it wasn't common. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason I, I thought I'd get a lot of pushback on it, I really haven't. Because once people heard they said, yeah, this makes sense. This mm-hmm. seeing everything in terms of dualistic opposites mm-hmm. and choosing sides. This just, this thinking doesn't get you anywhere, right. you know? It ends up with the kind of politics we have now. So to apply that to the male-female thing is very helpful. Mm. And here again, Jung was way ahead of his time. To recognize the anima, the animus. Mm -hmm. I had Latin, so I had to study that. I loved how many Latin words he used. Um, That this is within us. (laughs) 
that, and I saw it in my reading of male mythology mm-hmm. and female fairy tales, you know. The woman by her 50s has usually come to be considered the strong, self-assured, confident woman, you know. And the man by his 50s starts being gentle and sweet mm-hmm. and kind and lets go of this macho game that he had to play when he was in his 20s. Uh, that's just obvious to me. You know, that, yeah. that, that there's an integration within the self. But here's again where we have to be so grateful to Jung, to giving us the courage to think that way, mm-hmm. you know. And again, as a Christian, there is by no criteria is Jesus of Nazareth a patriarch. He no way validates Right. The, the, the macho way of being. Right. He's very in touch with his feminine. Absolutely. Very. Yeah. And then we created a macho religion in his name. A patriarchal, clerical religion is totally untrue to him. Mm-hmm. So Jesus in his very person gives us uh, the ability to to make this move. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to give you a copy of my book that's going to come out in March on the Universal Christ. I've just got the galleys were sent to me a few days ago. But I have a chapter in there on Mary, which I know uh, you Protestants never liked Mary very much. We we sort of over-liked her, and you sort of under-liked her <laughs> in overreaction to us, which is the way it always happens. But uh, I think you'll, you'll like my chapter on Mary okay. as a Jungian. Because what we were doing in this adulation, I mean, from the 11th to the 13th century, there's hardly a church in Europe that isn't named Our Lady, Nuestra Senora, Notre Dame. It's Our Lady. First, it's the plural pronoun, Our. Mm. Yeah, there's a much stronger sense of collective. Mm-hmm. We don't have Protestant individualism yet. It's all corporate. It's all corporate, you know. And... Uh, and this love of the woman, she was just, she was, for all practical purposes, made into God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when Luther came along, he had to throw her out, you know, although he actually didn't, uh, because we had overstated our case. But why did we overstate our case? Mm-hmm. To redress the imbalance mm-hmm. you know, of, of this overly male church, yeah. you know? Yeah. All men dressing up in robes, parading around the sanctuary like we Catholics still do. And there, right at the center, is the lovely lady dressed in blue to feminize the whole thing. Yeah, you absolutely went into my next um, question where towards the end of his life, he was really sort of fascinated with the movement from three to four. Oh, yeah. Numerically, and, and seeing Mary as the fourth added mm. to the Trinity to balance in, in a similar way to what yes. you were talking about. Okay, so um, I guess what, uh, a quick kind of um, telling about your history with Merton. Oh, okay. Well, like I said, somewhere around 1958, 59, I pulled uh, a sign of Jonah off the shelf at the okay. Minor Seminary in Cincinnati. And I already knew this man was special. Mm-hmm. And then every new book that would come in, they were coming out rather regularly in the late 50s mm-hmm. and early 60s when I was in Lavas. Uh, I just devoured everything he wrote. I had so fallen in love with him. This is the story. I'm going to give the keynote at uh, there's a gathering in Chicago celebrating the 50th anniversary of his death mm-hmm. in early December. 
and um, I'm going to probably tell this story there. I, uh, June 2nd, 1961, when I graduated from high school, and my parents, I grew up in Kansas, they drove to Cincinnati for my graduation. We usually drove back through Indianapolis. But I said, let's go down through Louisville. There's a monastery down there that I'd love to visit because I'd read so much of Merton by 61. Mm -hmm. So we pull into the, there the old guest house in front of it, we pull in, uh, just as my brother and sister and mom and dad are with me, we're approaching the guest house door the door opens, and out steps Thomas Merton. See, you normally didn't get to see monks because they were all cloistered. Right. But the story gets better. He's walking with Mother Teresa, June 2nd, 1961. They're the two greatest Catholics of the 20th century in one frame. Wow. Uh, and I just, I'm gaga. I just, my parents don't know who either one of them are. But in those days, of course, anybody in a robe or a habit we showed great respect to. Uh, so we just stood there as they walked right in front of us. He walked her and her uh, companion nun to the car and then walked back and we, we nodded to him. I'm sure we said, good morning, Father. But I, I wouldn't have uh, talked to him. But I did get to see Merton mm -hmm. for wow. two minutes. Two That's minutes, amazing. You know. Uh, June 2nd, 1961. So, um, yeah, all my life, he's been, uh, well, this whole thing of contemplation. He's the one who, like the wizard, pulled back the veil and helped us see we no longer understood contemplation. Mm. He had the courage to walk over to the Eastern religions and say, you know, we have what you have, but we've lost it. You're still doing it. Uh, can we learn from one another, you know? I would not be sitting here right now doing what I'm doing if not for Thomas Merton. Mm -hmm. uh, he gave me the courage and the vocabulary and the spirituality to say many of the things I say to mm -hmm. that I'm going to say in that book right okay. there. Yeah. yeah. And so his ability to, to mix the mystical and the political. Even that. Yeah. I didn't mention that, but even that. Yeah. yeah which just wasn't common at that time. Right. And to do it with such grace, mm -hmm. such conviction, and yet not angry, mm -hmm. just truth-telling, truth-telling, yeah. you know? Yeah, he, he's just, he's a, he's a larger-than-life human being. He really is. The fact that he's translated into every major language in the world, and you can pick up most of his books, not all of them. Some of them are dated and limited, and which he himself admitted, just like some of mine are. Um, but to be able to pick up most of them mm -hmm. and to say, my God, it's still apropos. Mm -hmm. He isn't dated. Right. Uh, he's, he's saying what's still true in 19 or 2018. Yeah. So you know when that's true, when someone's writings don't get dated, mm -hmm. that they're accessing a higher level or yeah. a deeper level, whichever yeah. word you want to use. Would you say that's the place where you, Merton, and Aurora overlap? <laughs> uh, you mean this po political? Bringing the mystical into yeah, general yeah. consciousness. Of the and, and the ability to critique Catholicism, too. Okay. But not to need to leave it. 
Okay. You know, not to need to reject it because the contemplative mind, non-dual, gives you the ability to see the shadow side of yourself and of the Catholic Church and of America. Right. But that doesn't mean I got to hate America. That doesn't mean I got to leave the Catholic Church. If we don't learn this, I don't know what hope there is because everybody's dividing and thinking because they found a flaw in some group that now they, they've been given permission to hate it. Right. Exactly wow. what teenagers do to parents. Exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> do you have a teenager? Yeah. It's just, it is. It's a teenage psyche. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Uh, we'll move towards wrapping this up. Well, what, what is the balance between Jesus and justice out in the world and, and trying to, to do good works and, and be of service to the world? Any advice for striking a balance there? I think I heard it in your sermon yesterday, which was embodiment yeah. and holiness. Yeah, once we understand, and I'll be talking about that in that book I just gave you, mm-hmm. that for me, both evil and salvation are corporate concepts. Mm. They're not this Western individualism. Yeah. Okay. They're corporate reality. We're, we're caught up in the, the burden of sin. That's why Paul says in Romans, all have sinned. Mm-hmm. All have fallen short of the glory. Mm-hmm. Stop looking for sinners. We're all in this together. <laughs> it's the corporate entrapment in illusion. Yeah. That is, I'm, and that's my next little book, is to help people understand. Paul had a corporate understanding of sin. Mm-hmm. So it's funny you'd point out the embodied. But I also believe salvation. Right. Is, is a corporate to God. And we see that clearly in the Bible. The covenants that Israel, that Yahweh forms with Israel, are with Israel. Mm-hmm. They're not with David. They're not with Noah. They're right. not with Abraham. They're with the collective. Yeah. And we miss that. And that's part of the breakdown in the evangelical culture. Oh, the, tell the, me. The, the savior on hide yeah. approach. Yeah. I would say splitting. that's the biggest single heresy. And I'll call it that of evangelicalism. Yeah. It's all individualistic. Mm-hmm. Well, it becomes fear-based, right? There. And then fear-based, because yeah. the, the, the private individual cannot carry the weight of glory or the burden of sin, to use two of Paul's phrases. They're just too fragile. Mm-hmm. They're too insecure. Right. To do it. I don't know if I answered your question. What was your question? I think you did. Just oh, what did is I? the balance in between Jesus and justice. Oh, yeah. See, here's the confusion for justice or activist people. Except perhaps for what we call the cleansing of the temple, we never see him directly assaulting social systems. Mm. But the point I'm making in this new little book I'm writing on on, uh, Pauline understanding of sin is his form of resistance is quiet non-participation mm. and, uh, like the, the I begin with yeah. like Sepphoris the Roman capital is nine miles down the road from Nazareth he never once mentions it there's no mention he ever goes there he goes places much farther all over now, it's like the Roman Empire and its local capital is just beneath contempt for him. Mm. I'm not going to bother with their silliness. Yeah. I'm going to proclaim the kingdom of God, yeah. not the kingdom of Rome. Yeah. Or, you know, what's not pointed out to us Western capitalists, mm-hmm. well, it's mentioned twice in John's Gospel, the common purse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> God, what do capitalists do with that? Wow. That... <laughs> 
Jesus, it seems, was not a part yeah. of the normal money system, even of his own culture. You yeah. know, whatever they meant by the common purse, yeah. and that they put it in the hands of Judas. That uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> boy, a good scripture scholar could really unpackage that. You yeah. know, that he's outside now. And then there's that one mention of these wealthy ladies who followed him and supported him. Mm-hmm. But he's not in the normal salaried economy. Do you understand? Right. He's neither a landowner nor a, a tenant. Uh, but I try to bring up as many of those examples as I can. Yeah. Jesus' approach to social justice is to not cooperate with power systems. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Right. I ask that because I'm, I'm not participating. I'm on the roster with the the Red Letter Christians. You're probably familiar oh, yeah. with. Oh yeah. Well, I had a bunch of them here. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I'm one of their writers and speakers. Oh, and good. Me. So I, I bring that up to say something. I think I see in common between what you're doing here and what Shane's doing. Mm, I um, hope it, so. Is being he's doing a much better. being being rooted in a community where you don't just float off into right. ego and, and that's right. That's right. Yeah, he gets, inflation. He yeah. gets so many of the issues. He's an inspired man. He really is. We've had him speak here three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so here's here's my last All right. uh, question. Let's hear it. Um, so the theme that I that I picked up on yesterday was, in my words, holiness. Okay. As 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 a way of navigating issues of justice, and, and part of what I think I heard there was a theme of self self emptying. Um, God being another name for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't say these words, but participation in the incarnation, in mm-hmm. essence. Um, and so I'm thinking about that and the human as the temple, the cosmic Christ, the whole thing. But but then on the other side, and this is kind of where I want to land, with a lot of what I'm seeing in activism, and I get caught up in it myself, is uh, is on the the left and the liberal side of things yes, where, where yes, I, yes. I get accused of being, but I'm really Me not. Too. Really, I'm not, but but it's, it, I agree on issues there. Um, but what I see is uh, reactivity, well, ego engagement on the left as but, much as yeah, the right. Well, it's reactive. So so the power dynamics, especially in the culture I'm in, are, are very conservative. And so there's reactivity from the rest of us instead of um, some kind of embodied presence that is healing in any way. Or uh, and so so what I think I see there is is splitting and a lot of emotional and spiritual and mental illness among men. And and something when I was writing yesterday, I wrote is that it seems like men are doing to the world what the world did to them as boys. Wow! You know that it's this reciprocal. Yes. Killing of the feminine and the innocent, and I see it in you know the bullying of yeah. my younger youngest son, you know yeah. things like that. But but there's this this the hating of vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. I mean this deploying yeah. troops to the yeah. border. That we even tolerate that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a macho display of total yeah. vacuous, empty, yeah, macho symbolism that no one knows. Is needed or true? So I like your interpretation, though. We're doing. The feminine was taken away from us. That's why Brene Brown's work mm-hmm. on vulnerability yeah. is so good and shame. Yeah. Because it's it is speaking to the male. Yeah. You know. Yeah. This Bubba mentality that <laughs> came from your world. Yes. Me. 
it's just done the world no oh, good whatsoever. Yeah. And it's so smugly self-assured. Yes. And the fact that it's aligned with whiteness, they don't see that. Yeah. They don't see that. Yeah. that it, don't you realize you're just the power system? Right. And these are the collectives that congeal together to keep you in power. But they can't see that. And their wives go along with them for the most part. Absolutely. Yeah. Because <laughs> that keeps paying their bills, too. Yeah, yeah. There's a, if there has been no self-emptying, right. you can't get to the gospel. With, yeah. Without it, you can't. Did you, you, you didn't read my book, The Divine Dance on the Trinity, did no. you? No, yeah. yeah. This is the image I use. It's my famous pe okay. favorite piece of religious art. It's Andre Rublev, 14th century. Mm -hmm. Talk about the three becoming four. So we have this gaze of communion and love between three. Most Christianity, certainly evangelical, is not Trinitarian. It yeah. really isn't. It's not Trinitarian at all. And what we've discovered, they, they uh, pushed uh, against that, and they found that there was blue residue there. Mm. There's a little rectangle painted in the original icon. Mm. And uh, they're convinced that what was blue there was a mirror. So that the observer, it was hung, so the observer found himself the fourth. Oh, wow. It's just what you were saying before. That you are invited into the wedding banquet, into the flow of the Trinity. Wow. It's exactly what you said about Jung before. Wow. Isn't that great? That's great. Now, if I had a copy of the Divine Dance, I'd give it to you. But that's a, of course, I look at everything theologically probably yeah. too much, but until Christianity refounds itself on a Trinitarian, that God is a flow instead of a monarch. Yeah. See, this monarchical putting Jesus on the throne. Right. <laughs> and having him throw down thunderbolts at people he doesn't like. Right. We've basically got Zeus. Uh, we don't have Jesus right. at all. Yeah. This is Jesus, a part of this flow, who invites us to the table with him yeah. to be a part of that flow. Wow. So if you, I'd give you a divine dance. I really would, but I don't have any copies left. Um, you might enjoy it. It yeah. might be too theological. I've really, I've really struggled. Well, I'm a theology student. Also. Oh, yeah. oh, good. Yeah, I, I lead a church, and yeah, oh, yeah. oh, a little place called the Underground Church. We just oh. do our own thing. We're sort of reconciling no community. You and, understand? Yeah. Oh. So uh, we're we're a lot of people of color and a lot of gay people in rural Mississippi, in Oxford, Mississippi. Yeah. yeah. And it's this God beautiful thing, and, and we, we... Well, you're a beautiful person. It well, flows you. through you. Yeah, the, uh, the money that we take in, offering, we get we uh, pay off school lunchroom debt and uh, predatory lending loans and things like that. So it's just, it's fun. God bless <laughs> yeah. you. How can yeah. we clone you <laughs> and produce yeah. more of you? Yeah. And, but, you, you know, I, I heard a podcast recently with you that helped me on the Trinity because I've really struggled with that coming from my background, you know, and it it really blew my mind wide open to see, wow, this is part of the breakdown. Oh, yeah. the, the Lifting Jesus above yeah. you know, everything. Pulling him out of the Trinity. Yeah, there's such an imbalance there. He's not in relationship himself. Right. He basically becomes the Father, and then the terrible atonement theory makes the Father unlikable and untrustworthy right. to begin with. Right. That's why we had to get him out of the picture, because we really didn't like him. 
Oh, uh, Christian theology just has to be rebuilt from the bottom up. Yeah. It really does. But, uh, yeah, once you get that God is a verb more than a noun, yeah. God is a flow of infinite love, yeah. not a monarch who's judging unworthy people to right. be unworthy. Thank you for listening to Episode 9 of the Voices of Wisdom podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please like, share, subscribe, leave a review. We'd love it if you'd help us get this podcast out into the world. If you'd like to know more about me and about the podcast, you can find me at TonyCaldwell.com. Feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. The music for this podcast is provided by Birds of Chicago. You can find them at BirdsOfChicago.com. This podcast would not be possible without the creative talents of Pete Lepley, Matt Lepley, and Melanie Cummings. You can find links to their work in the show notes. Stay tuned uh, for upcoming episodes. I've had some really great conversations over the past week and a half with some musicians and authors and some movement leaders that I just really can't wait to share with you. I'm super excited about that. So stay tuned for episodes coming each Monday and Thursday over the next couple of weeks. And I'll talk to you soon. Do not feel the winter blowing in the hearts of men. I've seen American flowers, they will bloom again.